to propose to you tonight that just as soldiers in the United States military go through boot camp training, that when you look very closely at God's word, you'll discover that those who are going to be soldiers in God's army also go through boot camp training. What we see as an example of that fact is here in 1 Kings chapter 17. The beginning of this chapter and the ending of this chapter really will catch our attention when we stop to look at it very closely. Last night we noted the fact that uh, when God suddenly breaks through in the darkness of the northern kingdom, when he shines a light in the dark, destructive, sinful world of the northern kingdom, it says that there was an individual who shows up, now Elijah the Tishbite. He's just a common, ordinary Joe. There's nothing special about this individual. From the world's perspective, he comes from a very insignificant town, but he suddenly appears on the scene. He goes and stands before the king and gives his own personal testimony and, and tells the king that it's not going to rain again until he says so because he's in touch with the true and living God. Now, what's really interesting is in that first verse, it says he is Elijah the Tishbite. But if you drop down to the end of the chapter, you'll see there in verse number 24 that there has been a woman in Zarephath who has been watching the life of this individual. And after observing the life of this Tishbite from Tishbe, she says to Elijah, now I know you are a person of God. And we step back and say, what happened? What takes place between verse 1, where he's Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbite, just a common, ordinary, insignificant from the world's perspective individual, to someone who's, who receives the testimony that now I know something. I really know it. You truly are a person of God. What we want to do this evening and what we'll do tomorrow night also is continue to look through this chapter and examine what occurs between verse 1 and verse 24 and see how the transformation in the life of Elijah comes about. And my friends, please understand, if we are going to move to being full-time soldiers in the work of the kingdom of heaven, if we are going to be people of God who serve him so that the kingdom of God can go forward, the transformation that Elijah goes through and the things that he has to learn, we too will have to learn at some point in our spiritual journey. Notice verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He marches into the king's office and he says, hey, I would like to talk to King Ahab. The office secretary says, do you have an appointment? He says, no, but I don't need an appointment. Yes, you do need an appointment because I can let no one go back there unless you have an appointment. He says, no, I serve a true living God. And he goes into the office of King Ahab, marches straight up to his desk, takes his finger, shoves it into his chest, and says, listen to me, Bubba. My own translation. Listen to me, Bubba. I want you to know something. The Lord God of Israel lives. 
And I want you to know that I serve him. And what I also want you to know, King, is that there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then he turns and he leaves. No wonder it says, now Elijah arrives. He arrives like a, like a flash of lightning. And now the darkness of the rule of these kings who have been leading the nation in a downward spiral. He shows up and says, here's who is Lord and this is what's going to happen. And then he leaves. Then verse 2 really catches us off guard. Because it says there that then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. Where's the Kareth Ravine? If you would go to the Old Testament scholars in their writings, you would discover that some think that it's here, others think that it's there. Some people think it's somewhere between there and there. In other words, nobody really knows for sure where the Kareth Ravine is. In other words, Elijah shows up and he pronounces the word of God. He pronounces the fact that he is going to be the one that God is going to use to bring some renewal and revival to the nation of Israel. And now that he has God's message, the next command is go somewhere where nobody will see you. The command of God, go into hiding. Do you know what? When we go through basic training, we are always moved away from the public and into the shadows. When God has a lesson for us to learn, he typically takes us from the microphones and out behind the spotlights, away from the world's applause and clear of the world's popularity. You see, my friends, God is preparing an individual who's going to stand on Mount Carmel, chapter 18, and demonstrate beyond any shadow of a doubt that the Lord, he is God. And as he stands in this anti-Jehovah world, it's very imperative that Elijah not only sense the call of God in his life, but he has to go through basic training and he has to learn that God will always be there and that God is the one who's going to stand with him. He has to build within him character because character is what will keep Elijah stable and on track as he steps into this dark world. He has to be a person of integrity. He has to be an individual who has this intimate relationship with God and this intimate relationship of God that is developed and built when no one else is looking is essential if he's going to be truly the person of God that's going to be required in that day. Now, we would step back and say, well, wait a minute. This is Old Testament stuff. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. In Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, that's the New Testament. 
And there we read that Jesus is going to call to him 12 individuals. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up into the hills and called to him those he wanted. And it says there that they came to him and he appointed 12, designating them as apostles. You are going to be the individuals that I am going to send And what I really love is in that verse, number 14, he says, you are going to be apostles in order that they might be with him. You're going to be with me. And second of all, that I might send you out in to do ministry. I believe that what we have here reflects the heart of God. It's demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. I am going to take you, I am going you to come, and I want you to follow me, and the first thing I want to do is not to send you out to do ministry, I want you, first of all, to be with me. And there are times when as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think I need to just step away from the pulpit or from the stand and say, we apologize to you. Because we have been so hurried to get you into doing works of service for you to produce that we haven't taken the time to teach you the importance of spending time alone with Jesus. He has God's message. He has the word of the Lord. And God's instructions are, what I want you to do is to leave this public eye. I want you to step away from the microphones. I want you to step out of the spotlight. I want you to be a solid individual that can be counted on no matter how difficult it is. And therefore, my command to you, Elijah, is go to the Kareth Ravine. Not only does God command him to go there, but I love in verse 4, it says, Oh, by the way, while you're there at the Kareth Ravine, you will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. It's the command of God, and we also see God's promise of of provision. Then in verses 5 and 6, we notice what we pointed out last night, which is the obedience of Elijah. His story is only six chapters long in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. But in those six chapters, nine times, we find out this individual was was one who, when he heard the instructions and the command of God, always was obedient. Because it says in verse 5, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. Notice the verbs. He did, he went, and he stayed. It's that last verb that really gets to us. Stay there. I want you to go to the place of isolation. I'm going to go, I'm going to build into your character, and I just want you to stay there. It's one thing to go to the place that's away from the multitudes. It's one thing to go to the place of solitude. It's quite another to stay there until we hear from God himself. 
One thing we know for sure, it was more than a day. It was more than a week. In fact, it could have been several months, even years. First Kings chapter 18 verse 1 tells us that it was a long time. In James chapter 5 verse 17, the New Testament writer tells us that from the time that Elijah announces that it's not going to rain until the time when it finally does rain is a period of three and a half years. Now, he does move from other places. But what we really need to understand is that what is that as God takes us through basic training, we must begin to realize that it's not a few minutes out of the public eye. It's not that we have an hour or so of solitude. It's not a week in preparation for ministry, but it could be months evaluating our life's habits, months, years of looking for God and his anointing. We have such shallow ministries today. You know why? Because none of us take the time to allow God to make us deep people. And if we are going to be the church in the 21st century American culture, we must understand the importance of going to the Kareth Ravine, of going to the place of solitude and allowing God to speak to us and we can listen to what he has to say. See, unfortunately what happens is when we go to the place of solitude, we tell God everything that he already knows. When I checked my hair, when I came in, the wind was blowing. I had to check my hair. It may be messed up. It was 45 minutes ago. But I looked in the mirror. And once again, I was reminded, I have two ears and one mouth. Could it be that God has designed us, if we're going to be his people, if we're going to be people who are not just blown here and there and everywhere, depending on the winds of our culture. If we are truly going to be the people of God, maybe when we come into the presence of God, we should listen twice as much as we talk. And instead of telling him everything that he already knows, maybe it would do us a word of good to listen to what he wants to tell us about what he knows. It's a long period of time before Elijah stands on Mount Carmel before the king, his servants, his priests, his prophets, and the nation of Israel. Verse 6 tells us that not only was Elijah obedient, but we read there in that verse that God carried out the promise Because Elijah was obedient, God fulfills his promise. It says there that ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. You talk about the ultimate camping trip. There it is. Wow. Now, I was teaching this at a camp meeting one time and uh, teaching it for a Bible study. Somebody raised their hand and said, Do you know exactly if it was a raven like we know it is a raven? My Bible says it was birds. 
And I had to just step back and say, no, I'm really not sure. We could probably do some research to find out exactly what kind of bird it was that brought this individual some food in the morning and some food in the evening. You're worried about the kind of bird God's providing miraculously for this individual, but we got to know what kind of bird it was. Father, help us. We see the command of God, go to the place of solitude, go to the Kareth Ravine. Uh, we see the obedience of Elijah because he did exactly what the Lord said. He went there and he stayed there. Now, if you're reading from the New International Version, you probably already noticed that I did not stop where the editors of the NIV break this passage. I went into verse 7 because I believe we miss a very important aspect of basic training when we stop at verse 6. Verse 7 tells us that sometime later, the brook dried up. It's the unexpected of life. For several months, Elijah has enjoyed the greatest camping trip known to humanity. His needs for life's sustenance were being taken care of. In the morning when the sun rose in the eastern sky, there were birds that brought him breakfast. When the sun began to descend in the western sky before the sun went below the horizon, birds brought him supper. And he also had all the water that he needed there in the Kareth Ravine. You talk about the ultimate service. You talk about the greatest room service anyone could experience. There it is. Morning, here's breakfast. Evening, here's your dinner and all the water that you can have. But notice, verse number seven says, sometime later, the brook dried up. One of the essentials for life begins to disappear. He goes down to the brook and as he leans in to get a handful of water to splash his face and to quench his thirst, he notices that the, the brook doesn't seem to be running as rapidly as it had in the days past. And as he goes back over a period of time, the brook becomes just a trickle and there finally comes the day when what he needs to live, water, literally disappears. And what's really interesting is that the writer tells us why. Because there had been no rain in the land. He gave the prophecy he gave an adequate description. He had an adequate understanding of what was going on in the world. And he had announced what God was going to do. And because he was still a part of the world, he experienced what other people were experiencing. My friends, we need to be reminded of that from time to time. When he promises to use us, don't be surprised when the unexpected comes in to our lives. I hadn't planned that. That's why it's called unexpected. Now, we've just spent uh, 
about 22 minutes and eight seconds in Bible study. And uh, we can go home and say, wasn't that a good Bible study? But we're not here just to learn. We're here to be transformed. Amen. Amen. We want to go through the process. We want to go from just, you know, Bob, the kid from Marysville, to Bob, the person of God. We want to be more than just the Marysville Church of the Nazarene. We want to be the people of God that proclaim the holiness ministry and the holiness word and the truth of God's grace in our town. Amen. So let's think for just a moment. Elijah had to learn three things while he was there in the Kareth Ravine. And if we are going to be all that God wants us to be, at some point in our spiritual walk, we too must learn these lessons. Number one is this. When God directs, God always provides. When God directs, he always provides. Can you imagine what it was like when Elijah went home for supper? He had heard what God wanted to do, and uh, he goes home, and he sits down with his mom and dad and said, Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, guess what? God told me what he wants me to do today. Oh, praise the Lord. We've been hoping that you find direction for your life. Yeah, God wants me to go to the Kareth Ravine. Where's that? I'm not sure. You know, Mom's always very practical. Well, son, you're going to have to eat. How are you going to get food? Well, God said he's going to take care of me, and uh, he's going to have these birds that deliver bread and meat every morning and every evening. Dad says, your son, I'm out of here. <laughs> you deal with that one. Really, don't make these people, these saints, this is real world. I mean, he, he, I'm going to the care of the and God's promised to give me food. He's going to have birds bring me room service every morning and every evening. You see, my friends, God is raising up an individual to do his work, and he wants that person to know that as he does the work for Almighty God, God will take care of you. God will provide. Lesson number two. When we trust God, we do it one day at a time. This passage, it's amazing how it unfolds. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah goes to King Ahab and pronounces the new, announces what God has to say, and he has no idea what the next step will be. Verses 2 through 6. The prophet goes to Kareth, and he doesn't know what the next step would be. Verse 7. The one who is going through the transformation process watches as his source of life literally dries up, not knowing how am I going to survive. We have to learn to trust him one step, one day at a time. Now we're back there and say, well, we've heard that 1,500 times. We brought you here on a Tuesday night to tell us we must trust God one day at a time. Well, my friends, if we're still not living it, we need to hear it 1,501 times. In our American society, we thrive on security. 
But those who are going to be soldiers in God's army must realize that when God leads his army, that you have to trust the chief commander one day at a time. Well, Bob, you're in the Old Testament. I know. But if you go over to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples. Very clearly at the end of chapter 4, it talks about the fact that great crowds are following Jesus. And it says that when Jesus sees the crowds, chapter 5, verse 1, you know what he does? He goes up on a mountain. He separates himself from the crowds, and his disciples come to him. Now, the crowds may have tagged along, but what we find in Matthew's gospel, he wants us to clearly understand that there is a big difference between the crowds who are curious about Christ and the disciples who follow Christ. Now, he wants everyone to be a follower, but he deals with the fact that, hey, some of us are just going to hang around the edges. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is addressing the disciples. He's addressing those who are the apostles. He's addressing those he's going to send to lead the kingdom of God forward. And in that sixth chapter, he says, would you quit worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear? The pagans chase after those things. The people who have no concept of God, that's their life. Would you, verse 33, seek first the heavenly father and the kingdom? If you will seek first the kingdom of heaven, you know what? What you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Everything you need will be given to you. And then he says, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Live today. And I oftentimes think how humbled we may be when we get to the other side. Now, I don't know if this is going to happen. Uh, I, you know, people ask me my opinion on heaven. I say that's the least studied area of my years of education. I say things like, there's so much I need to know about living here and now. I don't invest a lot of time about, I just know it's all going to turn out all right. <laughs> So I don't know if this kind of thing will happen, but, but I just wonder if when the light goes on, it's just, I see all the times that I had opportunity to serve the king and help build his kingdom. But I was so worried about tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow that I missed it. We sing living by faith. And we ask our spouse to check the checkbook. Can we still live by faith? When we trust him, we understand we are obedient to him. We're not giving in to some whim of someone who's a charismatic leader that talks us out of doing, talks us into doing crazy things. We are talking about a growing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Holy Spirit living in our lives and leading our lives. And because of that Holy Spirit living and leading in our lives, we can have this time of think of listening to God and we can know beyond any shot of a doubt that he may send us somewhere. He may ask us to do something and even though it makes no sense 
we're going to be obedient and we're going to trust him to take care of us one day at a time. Sometimes I wish I would have followed the editors and not included this seventh verse in our thoughts. Because this aspect of the unexpected of life shakes us and shakes our culture. Here's the truth that Elijah had to learn. When we perceive that something will ruin us, it can actually make us. Ponder that for a few minutes. Ponder it for a few days. When we think, perceive that something's going to ruin us, it can actually make us. A basic truth of Scripture is found in Romans 8, 28. King James Version says, We know that all things work. And being raised in the church in the 20th and 21st century, I don't know about you, but I love the fact when I read that we know that all things work. Unfortunately, that's not a good translation. The NIV is one that catches what really is said there because it says, we know that in all things, God works. Big difference in all things working and knowing that God works in all things. And what I love about what the Apostle Paul says is that he tells us that God is working for the good. And what I really love is when he goes on to verse 29, he tells us what the good is. The good is that we are being called to his purpose, and the purpose is that he has designed us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, his son. All right. Everything that comes into my life, God is going to work. He's going to work so that I can become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And this is so countercultural. You see, the God little G of our cultures wants me to be comfortable. Amen. I mean, we pray, Lord, bring the comfort. Lord, take this situation away. Lord, take this burden from me. Make me comfortable. See, the God of our culture, little g, wants us to be comfortable, but the God, capital G, of the scriptures wants us to be Christ-like. I told you it's a hard one to swallow. The basic truth is this. God's number one desire is to take us to a level of faith that enables us to be just like Jesus Christ. Now we've entered into the very essence of holiness. You may not have recognized it, but that's where we are. The fact that God is going to do such a work in my life that he's going to so change me. He's going to so transform my perspective. He's so going to transform my life that I'm literally going to be Christ-like. And as I go through life, I am a living imitation of Jesus Christ. When they touch me, they don't get sour grapes. They get sweet Jesus. Holiness. Now, the most quoted 
most often looked at scripture concerning holiness is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. And and closing here for just about five minutes, I want you to turn with me from the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, and please join me in looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. It's really interesting what we uncover when we allow the verse to speak to us word by word, phrase by phrase, and then bring it all together. In verse 14 of Hebrews 12, it says, make every effort. And it's followed by two clauses that tell us what we are to make every effort at. In other words, your life should be focused. There should be something that is at the forefront of your life. It's the forefront of your thinking. It just rules your heart. And you know what the first one is? To live at peace with all people. He wants us to be relationally whole. See, it's not about my dress. It's not about if I wear jeans. It's not about all those externals. He says, the first thing I want you to do, we're going to talk about holiness. I'm going to tell you to be holy, but I want you to understand that the first focus is that you are relationally whole. You are at peace with all people. Now, that's impossible. You're right. But the focus of our lives is not what God is doing externally, but what is he doing internally that is impacting the relationships of my life. Then he says... Be holy. And then, you know, this has probably been quoted a million times in the holiness movement. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Today, I did a research. I intended to share this verse, but as I was reflecting on it this afternoon, I decided I've got to focus in on it. It says, no one will see the Lord. That word, we'll see, the the, the term that is translated, we'll see, in the Greek is a future indicative middle verb. And all of God's people said, oh, so what? No, hang in there. This is is unbelievable. It's amazing how precise God's word is. Future means, just as it does in the English language, something that's going to take place out there. Next hour, next week, next month. Being an indicative means that it's a statement of fact. And being a middle means that, it's, that the person is participating in the result of the action. Okay? Future, next week, next month, 8.15 after I leave here. Indicative, it's a statement of fact. Middle, The one is participating as a result of the action. So here's what this verse says, literally. No holiness? That person will not see, factually speaking, the results of participating with the Lord. Lord, help me, please. Without this... Holiness of God permeating my life. I will 
not see, factually speaking, the results of participating with the Lord. See, it's not just about when we all get to heaven. It's talking about when I get back to the job tomorrow. Will I see my life participating in the Lord? And then verse 15. If that weren't enough to chew on, verse 15 He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, God's work of holiness, and bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Hey, be holy. Without holiness, you're missing all that God's designed for your life to be. And if you you just resist the grace... The truth is, bitterness could begin to grow, and as bitterness begins to grow, it could cause trouble, and you know what? It could defile not only you, but it could defile many. Wow. The unexpected of life. I hadn't planned on that happening. And without the grace of God... A bitter root could spring up. Wow. Four American GIs serving in the Korean War pulled their finances, got a little house near the base. Not only did they get a house, they were able to hire a Korean servant boy. They didn't do anything. The young man cooked, cleaned, Whatever they wanted done, he did it. Now these American GIs, because they had extra time on their hands, uh, began to play practical jokes on the young man. One one night, his alarm went off and he got up to get ready to serve breakfast to him. He slipped his feet into his shoes and he couldn't move. They had nailed him to the floor. Another time, he went into the kitchen and he was going to turn on the, uh, the stove there, the gas stove, and when he reached out to turn the knobs, they had put Vaseline, and you know how that, once it gets on your hand, it's just hard to get rid of. Another day, he had gone down to the market to get the groceries they needed, and while he was gone, they took a bucket of cold water and put it above the door, and when he opened the door, it just, now what really bothered them is, He never said a word. His work ethic was impeccable. He carried out his duties. In fact, they couldn't handle it any longer. And so they finally set him aside. He said, you're you're such a great servant. And we just want to apologize for the ways that we've treated you. We're really sorry. Do you accept our apology? And he thought that this young boy fought for me. He said, No more shoes stuck to the floor? No, that won't happen again. No more sticky all over stove? No, that that won't happen. No more water on my head? We promise you it will not happen again. Okay, I no more spit in soup. (laughs) 
And if you watch around the church, there are some people whose devotion to duty is impeccable. You can count on them to be there, carry out. But the truth is, when nobody's looking, they're spitting in the soup. Which brings us full circle. Elijah, I want you to go to the place of solitude. Because what we are, what we say, what we do, when nobody else is looking, tells us if the grace of God, the holiness of God is filling my life. Let's pray. Lord, I really believe in my heart that almost everyone, if not everyone, who is here tonight desires to become a person of God. The fact that they've taken time out of a busy schedule on a Tuesday night to spend an hour or so down at the church speaks volumes. But as we come together tonight, we realize that uh, you who began a good work in us desire to take it to its completion. You desire not only to give us forgiveness of sin, you desire also to make us a holy person. You want us to experience what it is to participate in the holiness of God. And Lord, as we speak, there, each one of us might have a story of the unexpected that has come to our lives. I'm reminded of the words of A.W. Tozer. He says, those who God uses greatly, he hurts deeply. And if we weren't to, what he's saying, if we, if we don't understand the context, we would think that God doesn't love us. No, what Tozer is saying there is God so loves me and so wants me to experience wholeness and holiness of life that he will open up the deepest wounds not to hurt us but to bring healing. And Lord, you know each person who is here tonight. And I pray that this story of Elijah and what we found in Hebrews chapter 12 would just come to life. We're tired of being, that, being beaten down. We're tired of the enemy having that area and just causing us to time and time again trip over it. We've done everything that the church wanted. We've watched what we've said. We've watched how we dressed. 
We quit chewing, we quit smoking, we quit drinking. We've done all those things, but there's still this emptiness. Lord, may tonight be the night when we experience something that happens deep within us and we truly become an individual who participates in the holiness of God. Lord, do your work and do it your way. For all the victories that are gained tonight, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. I invite you to stand with me and we're going to sing this Gaither song that speaks volumes. And tonight as God speaks to you, would you respond in whatever way he speaks to you? comfortable publicly coming. I just want you to know that I'll be hanging around, I think, Pastor. If you need someone to pray with you privately, let someone know. 
God loves you and we love you. And our greatest desire is that you would be a whole person, all that God wants you to be. That the relationships of your life would reflect the holiness of God. Pastor, lead us in a prayer time. may be seated, and uh, let's uh, take just a couple minutes and talk to God on our own before I lead us. And, uh, it's too important to, to rush through this time, so let's spend a few minutes in prayer, and then we'll close. Father, um, the message tonight touches us deeply because all of us go through those times in life where the, the brook dries up. All of us have those circumstances where life doesn't make sense. We find ourselves, like Elijah, at a place of life, and life is no longer present. And we wonder why. And Lord, as we read this passage and we consider the message of our good evangelist, it reminds us that perhaps God, not just perhaps, but in those circumstances, you're working something for our good. That, that somehow, Lord, you're creating within us a character that can be counted on, that can be used by you. That, that you're perfecting holiness of life within us. Lord, as we go through these, these, these times where the brook dries up, we don't enjoy them. We don't seek them out. But Lord, we rejoice in the God who's able to take even a dry river bread bed and turn it into something marvelous and glorious for our good and your glory. So help us, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, may, may, we, may we not cease running and seeking after you, Lord. May we stand firm regardless of our circumstances, knowing that the God who began this good work in us is able to take it to a point of completion. Lord, I love you. I love you for the, the high points in my life and the low points in my life. I, I love you for the times when things have seemed to go just perfect and the times when they haven't went so perfect. Because I know that you are God of all those moments. And regardless of what's going on, you love me and you have a plan for my life. And Lord, you have a plan for each life in this sanctuary today. So Lord, be with us. Help us, Lord, just to continue to run the race. Lord, may we um, seek to have the mind of Christ, to seek your holiness. And Lord, in all these things, we're counting on you to do the work that we cannot do. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. God bless. Continue to pray, and uh, as you as you leave, the ushers will be in the back, and we're receiving our offering for 